0: The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time starring George Burns and Gracie Allen.
1: Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you... Escape. Kraft
2: presents the great Gildersleeve.
1: I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United
0: States Marshal.
1: Good evening, friends of the inner sanctum.
0: The Jack Benny program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 77 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the classic radio theater featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour mystery episodes of Suspense, starring Lana Turner and Joseph Cotton. We'll begin after this short break. Offering high-tension drama and a stellar cast, Suspense was a landmark program from radio's golden age. For 20 years, the program offered tales well-calculated to keep you in suspense. With audience numbers in the millions, Suspense ranked as one of the most listened-to dramas on the air from 1942 until 1962. Known as radio's outstanding theater of thrills, it focused on suspenseful stories starring the biggest names in Hollywood actors jumped at the chance to appear on Suspense, including Cary Grant, James Stewart, Alan Ladd, Henry Fonda, Humphrey Bogart, Betty Davis, and Orson Welles. Oftentimes, celebrities were cast against type, including Jack Benny, who played a Martian, and Frank Sinatra, who played a psychopathic killer. Scripts were by John Dixon Carr, Lucille Fletcher, James Poe, Ray Bradbury, and many others. Running more than 20 years, Suspense aired nearly 1,000 radio broadcasts. It made the transition to television in 1949, but it was much better suited for radio, where the theater of the mind could run free. Time now for the first of two mystery episodes of Suspense. This first one stars Lana Turner as an heiress being driven crazy by a painting in her room that depicts her murderer. Each night, the killer appears to be coming closer Here's Fear Paints a Picture on Suspense from May 3rd, 1945.
1: Now, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents... Suspense!
3: Tonight, Roma Wines bring you the suspenseful play called Fear Paints a Picture, starring Miss Lana Turner.
1: Suspense is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals... Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you a remarkable tale of suspense. And with fear paints a picture,
3: and with the performance of Hollywood's most glamorous young star, Miss Lana Turner, Roma Wines hope indeed to keep you in suspense.
4: There is a picture hanging on a wall. You look at it casually an extraordinary picture. You'll say skillfully done. Hmm, look at those fine brush strokes. Look at those superb colors. But isn't the subject matter a little bizarre? It's something more than just bizarre. You see, <laughs> it was that picture that first convinced me that I was insane. But let me begin from the beginning. In his last will and testament, my father made me heir to all his considerable fortune, except that, well, here, you read the will.
3: Uh, I, Benjamin Powell, hereby request that after my death, my daughter, Julia, live in my old San Francisco house with Mr. Harvey Lyons, my lifelong friend, until her 23rd birthday, at which date all my worldly belongings will come into her possession provided that nothing untoward happens to her by that time. But in the event that she is incapable of taking over my estate upon her 23rd birthday, I hereby appoint Harvey and Laura Lyons as my final heirs, there being no other living blood relatives, and trust to their judgment that they will take care of Julia adequately and with kindness. Signed, Benjamin Powell. (laughs)
4: Three months later, seated around the huge, ornate fireplace of that dark, musty living room, we were three silent people. Harvey was reading his newspaper, Laura was knitting with nibbled fingers, and I
5: I stared with unseen eyes at an open book. You're not reading, Julia. I, uh, I'm not concentrating. Are you feeling all right, dear? Oh,
4: yes, yes, I'm all right.
1: You do look a little tired, Julia. Perhaps you'd better get some rest.
5: I'm not tired, Harvey. I, I've been wanting to ask. You... In a week, Julia will be twenty-three. Isn't that wonderful, Harvey? Next Tuesday is her birthday. Why, and yes, I think...
1: we'll have a party. I'll get old Tom and his fiddle, and we'll have a real old-fashioned
5: party.
4: Harvey, huh? what did father mean by the will?
5: The will. Perhaps you'd better go to bed. You look a little pale, Julia.
4: The will said that I might not be able to take over the estate by my twenty-third birthday. What does it mean?
1: I don't remember that. I I didn't read uh, the will very carefully.
5: Oh, yes, you did, Harvey. You know what I'm talking about. Perhaps we'd better discuss it in the morning. You're tired. It's no use, Laura. I've got to know.
1: Now, you're a very high-strung girl, Julia, and I'd rather not upset you before bedtime.
4: Upset me?
1: You, well, you sort of get moody very often. Now, Harvey.
4: Laura, I'm not going to bed until I find out what all this means. I've got to find out.
1: You don't like your room, do you?
4: No. No, I don't. It's big. The wallpaper. I, I don't like the pictures on the wall.
1: There's nothing wrong with a big room. Everyone prefers a large room. Everyone likes pictures on the wall.
4: Well, maybe it's the kind of pictures. Yes, it's the pictures. They, they rub me the wrong
5: way.
1: You see, your feelings about things are different. Different from the, uh, the feelings of normal people. Oh,
5: Normal people? I can't stand this torturous way of telling her. I'll tell you, Julia. Your mother died in an asylum. She went mad after her 23rd year. It's been in the family for generations. But I never saw my mother. I, I thought... We didn't want to tell you this. I wish you hadn't. But you forced us. You mean I'm liable to
4: become insane?
1: Well, You see, any one of us can become insane. I
4: There's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly all right. I'm as sane as anyone. Being high-strung doesn't make me mad. I don't like it here. I don't like this house. I'm sane. I'm sane.
5: Of course you are, Julia. There's nothing the matter with you. You'll be all right. Your father wasn't sure, that's all. You're as sane as any one of us. Come along. I'll take you to your room. We'll have a cup of tea together. is she, Laura? She's calmed down.
1: Is she asleep?
5: No, Harvey. She's reading.
1: That must be Dr. Barrow. I'll open the door.
5: How do you do, Mr. Lyons?
1: Is it Dr. Barrow? That's right. This is my wife, Laura. How do you do? I'm glad to meet you, Doctor. Let me take your things. We'll have your room ready in a few minutes. Thank you. It's very good of you. Here, sit down. Sit down. Make
6: yourself comfortable. Well, thank you. I will.
1: Well, how's Julia? Oh, she's been very moody lately, very moody. Hmm? I've heard her talking to herself
6: very often. Well, that's nothing. All of us talk to ourselves once in a while.
1: Uh, I don't know, Doctor.
6: I don't think she's very stable. Mr. Powell described Julia's case to me just before he died. I had occasion to observe her just once. You knew Mr. Powell well? Oh, yes. For quite a number of years, I treated his wife. Poor Mrs. Powell.
1: She went mad. And now, poor Julia.
6: I wouldn't make that comparison, Mr. Lyons. So far, there's no basis for any such theory. Well, then, Julia just has strong dislikes. Took a hate to the pictures in her room. Oh, pictures, eh? I'd, uh, I'd like to go up and see her if she's not asleep.
5: Well, I guess it's all right. She's not asleep yet. Her room's the second from the right, as you reach the top of the stairs.
6: Thank you. I'll just stop in for a few minutes.
5: Come in.
6: Hello, Julia. You remember me, don't you?
4: No. No, not exactly. I, I, I guess maybe I've seen your face. I don't
6: know. I'm Dr. Barrow, a friend of your father's. I treated your mother. My mother? Now, now, don't be alarmed. I'm staying with your guardians for a few weeks. I'm sure you're going to be all right. Do you mind if I come in for a few minutes, hmm?
4: No. No, I guess not.
6: Well, this is a fine room, Julia. A very comfortable one.
4: I don't like it it's too big it it makes me lonely
6: oh nonsense you're just imaginative you think someone might be hiding in here while you're asleep don't you now huh
4: it it isn't that
6: don't you like that picture julia what what picture the one you're staring at
4: oh it's an unpleasant picture it gives me nightmares look at it that frightful looking man about to come through the doorway and the unsuspecting girl sitting in a chair with her back towards
6: him. <laughs> He's not frightful looking at all. It's just the black scarf around his neck.
4: He's about to kill her.
6: You certainly have a vivid imagination. I'm sure the artist had no such idea in mind.
4: That picture has a horrible fascination for me. I, I just can't take my eyes away from it. Why, last night, I i dreamed that the man in the picture came through the door with a knife in his hands and, and killed the girl. Oh, It was an awful dream.
6: It was only a dream. But if I take that painting off the wall, Julia, you'll find other things to be afraid of, dear. You've got to conquer your fears, or they'll conquer you, Julia. Now, now, you do as I say. Forget about this picture. Get a good night's sleep. There's nothing like a good night's sleep to lift the spirits. If the picture fascinates you, well, keep on looking at it. But don't be afraid of it, Julia. Will you do that now,
4: hmm? Well, yes, Dr. Barrow. If you say so. Ah,
6: that's fine. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, Julia.
4: Good night.
3: (laughs) For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as star Miss Lana Turner, whom you have heard in the first act of Fear Paints a Picture by Sigmund Miller, which is Roma Wines' presentation tonight of... Suspense!
1: Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Elsa Maxwell is recognized internationally as an authority on gracious living. The other day she said this about wine and wartime food rationing.
2: Listen. I find that people who know one simple secret of delicious meals aren't bothered much by food rationing. That secret is to enjoy good Roma wine with food. For instance, I recently had dinner where the main dish was kidney bean casserole. And to give this simple food a delightful party flavor, my hostess served cool Roma California Burgundy. Everyone remarked about its wonderful bouquet and aroma and about the way that good Roma Burgundy added enjoyment to our plain meal. Such added enjoyment is one of the reasons why more and more people serve delightful Roma wine.
1: That's a grand suggestion from Elsa Maxwell. So why not try Roma California Burgundy with your dinner tomorrow night? You'll enjoy its tart piquancy, its fruity, robust taste. The happy result of selecting luscious wine grapes from California's choicest vineyards, guiding them to perfection by the ancient wine skill of Roma's famed wineries. Good Roma wines never vary. They are always enjoyable, yet cost only pennies a glass. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma Wines.
3: And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Lana Turner as Julia Powell in Fear Paints a Picture. A tale well-calculated to keep you in... Suspense!
4: About midnight in my room, the large room with its many pictures, I was dreaming. Dreaming again of the man in the picture. And the figure with the flowing black scarf was alive. And his hands grew longer and longer. And there were footsteps, footsteps over my head. And then, then I was awake, wide awake, with my eyes staring at it. And on the wall, oh, oh! (coughs) Julia,
5: what's happened? What are you doing out here in the hallway? We're together, Julia.
4: Oh, that man, that man. What man? The man in the picture, he's moved. What do you mean? The picture, the man at the door. He's not at the door. He's inside the room.
1: Oh, you must have been dreaming. (laughs) Screams.
6: Julia, what's happened to you?
4: He moved. I saw it. He's not outside the door anymore. He's inside. Now,
6: now, now, Julia, let's... It
4: wasn't a dream. The thunder woke me. And I heard footsteps coming from the ceiling. And then I looked at the picture. The picture I told you I didn't like, Doctor.
5: The man was inside the room.
6: That's highly possible, Julia. Figures in pictures can't move.
5: Of course not. It was just a bad dream. No, it's true. I saw it.
6: All right, come along, Julia. We'll all take a look at the picture. Oh,
5: no. No, I, I don't want to go back into the room. Now,
6: there's nothing to be afraid of. We'll all go with you, dear. Oh. Yes, come on, Julia. Don't be frightened. You've got
1: to fight off these delusions.
5: Here, give me your hand. Come along.
1: Now... Which picture is it?
5: The one... the one near the bed.
6: Oh, yes, the picture by Ralph Powell.
5: Your family was always very proud of it.
6: Well, there it is. It's the same as I saw it a few hours ago. Look at it, Julia.
4: Why, well, I... I c- can't believe it.
6: The man with the black scarf is still outside the door. And will stay there, Julia, until the picture crumbles to dust.
4: Oh, but I... I was so sure. I, I saw him inside the room approaching the girl, and, and then the footsteps.
6: Dreams can be very vivid, and there are no footsteps coming from the storeroom.
4: Oh, I must be out of my mind. I could have sworn... If Julia
6: wants to, I'll take the picture out of her room. No, no, I don't think it's wise. Julia, you you will have to fight these unreasonable fears. Never give in to them. I'll
5: go crazy if I keep
4: looking at that picture.
6: It might be the other way around, Julia, if you run away from it,
1: the mental disease prevalent in your family will take a firm hold in you. Hmm? You'll get worse and worse. As Dr. Barrow says, you'll be afraid of your own shadow. No. You'll be afraid of everything, of everyone you meet. No. Afraid to be alone, afraid to be with people, afraid of yourself.
6: No. Afraid of your own clutching fingers.
4: No, no, don't tell me anymore. Please, Mr.
6: Lyons, please. There's no need for this kind of talk. Look at the picture, Julia. It's nothing but some paint on a canvas with a frame around it. There's nothing about it that can harm you. The danger lies in yourself. You've got to keep staring at it as often as you can, by candlelight, in the dark, uh, until you've learned to laugh at it. It won't be easy.
5: Well, uh, I'll try. That's fine. I
6: knew you had courage. I'll get you a sedative so that you'll be able to sleep.
5: Oh, but uh, I'll be all right in the
4: morning. I'm sure I'll be all right. And I was all right for a few days. The figure in the picture remained motionless, and I heard no more footsteps. Until one evening... Well, Julia, it's 11 o'clock, and you know what Dr. Barrow says. Uh, I'm not at all sleepy, Laura. I, I'd much rather stay up for a while. You see, I'm in the middle of a fascinating story is that...
5: wrong, Julia? Uh, what? No.
4: No, of course not. Everything's fine, Laura.
5: You're afraid to go to sleep, aren't you, Julia, dear? No. No, it isn't that... Is that picture bothering you again? Oh, yes. Last night, I heard
4: footsteps again. The sound woke me, and the figure in the picture, it moved. It moved closer to the girl.
5: Oh, how terrible. We thought you were over it.
4: Well, I took some sleeping tablets, and I fell asleep again. And in the morning, well, the picture was the same as ever. I
5: see. Oh, Laura, do... Do you think I'm crazy? Oh, of course not. You're as sane as I am. Tell me the truth. I must know. Well, you're just nervous and high strung. And you have a vivid imagination, and that's all. Oh, you're trying to soothe me. Why didn't you tell the doctor that you thought the picture moved again? Well, I, I was ashamed. You shouldn't be ashamed. Dr. Barry was here to help you get well, and I'm sure that. Uh, hello,
1: Laura. Well, I've arranged to have old Tom and his fiddle here tomorrow night for Julia's birthday. And I've invited the Grovers, and they'll be
6: delighted to come. That is, if Julia's feeling well. Julia, you should be in bed. It's after eleven. She's afraid to go to sleep. Oh, please, Laura. It's, uh, the picture again, isn't it?
4: Yes, Doctor. It moved again. At least I
5: thought it moved. Oh, but I went back to sleep.
6: Well, well, that's an improvement. You didn't get hysterical and try to run away like the last time. Come, Julia. I'll go with you to your room.
4: Um... Perhaps Laura can sleep in my room tonight. Hmm? Oh, just tonight. You see, I'll feel a lot more comfortable. And tomorrow night, will, I'll be able to face it alone much better.
6: Well, Julia, that would be an admission of defeat, you know. But if you...
4: Oh, well, all right. If you think it's best. Good night.
6: Good night, Julia. Keep up your courage.
1: It doesn't look so good, does it, Doctor?
6: Well, uh, not too good, but it's not hopeless. She has an unstable, imaginative mind subject to delusions which become very real to her. Oh, her obsession about the picture's not so bad. We all suffer occasionally from optical illusions. But hearing footsteps coming from the storeroom above her... The storeroom?
1: Hmm? How did you know there's a storeroom above her?
6: Why, your wife told me about it. Oh,
1: of course. Well, that storeroom hasn't been opened in years... I guess there's no point in investigating it, is there?
6: No, I don't think so. Those footsteps, like the moving figure in the painting, are all in her mind.
1: Oh, her mother behaved just like that before she went mad, didn't she?
6: Well, there's some similarity in... Say, you haven't been to the storeroom recently, have you?
1: No, no, I just mentioned to you that it hasn't been opened in years.
6: Oh, yes, yes, so you did, so you did.
1: Oh, I just hope that Julia will be all well for her party tomorrow.
6: I had no idea she was having a birthday. How old will she be? She'll be 23. Really? Well, I must remember to get her a gift. (sighs) Well, I guess I'll go to bed. So will I. See you in the morning. But
4: I wasn't thinking about my birthday. When I stood alone inside my own room, panic, black, unreasoning panic began to take hold of me. In wild haste, I I began to undress, never looking at the picture and and talking to myself. Yes, talking to myself all the while. Now, now, I won't look at it. I'll I'll take some pills and fall asleep. All I have to do is keep from looking at the picture. It can't do me any harm. If I don't see it, I I mustn't even think of it. I know, I'll think about the trip I made to South America... Oh, it was a wonderful trip. The sunsets and what was that? Footsteps. Those footsteps again. But I mustn't hear it. I, I mustn't hear it. <laughs> it was a wonderful trip. The Blue Caribbean and and oh, Rio is a beautiful city. And Sugarloaf Mountain and the music and and the dancing, why it, It's not the footsteps. It's just my heart beating. I know, I'll close my eyes. Oh, please, please let me sleep. I don't want to look at the picture. I won't. I know what I'll see. He'll be closer to her. And maybe he'll have killed her. Oh, but I mustn't open my eyes. I mustn't. I won't, I, I... Oh, but I've got to. Look
5: at it.
7: Oh!
4: He has moved. He's closer to the girl. I'm not dreaming. It's real. The girl... Why, it's me. That girl is me. Me, I... I can't stand it! I... I can't! I can't!
5: Julia! Oh, you... Poor, poor, dear girl.
4: Oh, well, it's the same thing, Laura, again and again. I tried not to look at the picture, Laura. I tried so very hard. But it was hopeless. I had to. And the figure with the black scarf was inside the room. A knife in his hands, very close to the girl. But this time, the the girl had turned around, and... And it was my face. My face.
5: Did you hear any footsteps? (laughs) Yes.
4: Yes, I heard them as soon as I got into the room, but... But the picture, it's... it's the same. It hasn't changed. Look at it. Yes, the picture doesn't seem to have... What's the matter, Laura? Uh,
5: Nothing. Nothing at all. There. There, did you hear it? Footsteps. It's probably a board creaking. Now you go to sleep. I think everything will be all right in the morning. Oh, and you won't leave me? No, Julia. I'll stay here till you fall asleep. Thank you, Laura. Thank you
4: very much. Mm. Laura, Laura, is that you? Laura, <gasps> where well, she's gone. She's left me alone, but I'm i not alone. Something woke me. The picture, I, it's the picture. I must look at it again, if he's moved again. Oh, but I must look straight at it. I'll look straight at it. Oh, why he, he's killed the girl. He stabbed her. He stabbed me. I'm the girl. And now I've got to get out. Out! Oh. Oh, and now you're here. Why, you, you've come to life. In my room. The man in the black scarf. You... What do you want me to do? No. No, I, I won't run away, and I won't scream. What are you asking me? Do I want to spend the rest of my life in an asylum like my mother? No, no, I don't, I don't. You, you want me to open the window? Uh, Why, well, yes, yes, I'll open it there. You say, you say it would be best for everybody if I jump? Oh, yes. It's it's the only way out. The only way and I'll do it. I'll do it now without even thinking. It It will will only take a, a moment.
1: Stop, stop,
5: Julia. Harvey, Laura, what are you doing? We came just in time. I've got her, Harvey. She's
1: safe. I, I,
4: I'm safe? Oh. You
1: can come out from behind that chair, my friend. Friend? Come
6: out, or I'll shoot.
4: I, I don't understand. My, my head's going around in a I circle. I can
6: explain everything. I was merely observing Julia. The procedure was a little unusual, I'll admit. I'll but... do the explaining, Dr. Barrow. You tried to drive Julia crazy.
5: He, he tried to drive me crazy. That's right. He tried to do it with the picture.
1: You're all making a serious mistake. A mistake? Look at the picture. The figure is inside the room, stabbing the girl. No, it wasn't your imagination, Julia. He painted several pictures. Each one of them, the figure closer to the girl. He used the storeroom upstairs. That's why you heard footsteps.
5: I got suspicious when I found a black scarf in his room. And when I looked at the picture a little while ago, it was full of dust. I had dusted it off myself a few hours just before.
1: Yes, and Dr. Barrows seemed to know there was a storeroom above you. I couldn't understand how he knew that. Because this old house of your father's has been closed for years.
4: Oh, but why? Why should he want to drive me crazy?
1: Because he's not Dr. Barrow. What? He's Ra- Ralph Powell, your cousin, who disappeared many years ago. Everyone thought he was dead.
5: He painted the picture originally, so it was easy for him.
1: His plan's to drive you insane. Then contest the will, since he's the nearest blood relative.
6: I had no intention of killing Julia. I swear I didn't. I just wanted to frighten her. Why, I, I almost...
5: I almost jumped out of the window. I... I might have been dead right now, lying dead outside. Well, don't think about it, Julia, dear. It's all over now. You're all right.
4: You mean I... I'm not
5: insane? Why, of course not, Julia. Oh, I almost forgot. Why, it's Thursday. Why, yes. Happy birthday, Julia. Yes.
1: How does it feel to be 23 years old?
5: It...
4: it feels... Wonderful.
3: And so closes Fear Paints a Picture in which Roma Wines have brought you Lana Turner, as star of tonight's study in... Suspense. Suspense is produced, edited, and directed by William Spear.
1: Before our star returns to the microphone, Roma Wines, the sponsor of Suspense, bring you a brief message from that noted authority on smart entertaining, Elsa Maxwell.
2: A truly versatile wine for entertaining is Roma California Toque. Serve with coffee or dessert as a delightful finishing touch to your meals. Or set out Roma Toque with cheese and crackers when friends drop in. Everyone enjoys this velvety flame-colored wine.
1: Yet, good as they are, Roma wines cost only pennies a glass, so enjoy them often. Serve Roma with your everyday meals. Roma wine is delicious, and Roma quality never varies. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. The Roma Wine Company, with sales headquarters in San Francisco, joins with that city in welcoming the men of peace, The delegates to the United Nations Conference now in session. When their good work is completed, may the men of peace take back to their homes the memories of a friendly San Francisco. A city where live in harmony many people of many origins. A typically American city that speaks for all America when it says, May God bless you, men of peace, and speed you in your noble work.
4: This is Lana Turner. And it was certainly a great pleasure and privilege to appear here tonight on this distinguished suspense stage. For you are accustomed to hearing the very best in dramatic radio entertainment. I appreciate very greatly the opportunity of playing a role somewhat different from the ones I usually do in pictures. Next week, my friend, that very excellent actor, John Garfield, will be your star of suspense. I know you will be listening, as I will.
3: Lana Turner appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and is currently starred in their production, Keep Your Powder Dry. Next Thursday, you will hear John Garfield as star of Suspense.
1: Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And that's suspense, with Fear Paints a Picture, starring Lana Turner, from May 3rd, 1945. Also in the cast, Will Wright and Wally Mayer, with Truman Bradley announcing for Roma Wines, has heard over CBS. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Ra- you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another mystery episode of Suspense, this one starring Joseph Cotton, after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, a man decides to commit a laboratory murder just to prove that he can get away with it. Here's Joseph Cotton as star of The Earth is Made of Glass, on Suspense from September 27, 1945.
1: The Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents...
3: Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton as star of The Earth is Made of Glass, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear.
1: Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glassful would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! Suspense. Dr. West. Good morning, Miss Adams.
8: Well, there's one bed vacant this morning. I see that 4.36, Mr. Steele died, 4 a.m.
1: Yes, I, I was there. Coronary thrombosis.
8: You're not terribly concerned, Dr. West?
1: Why should I be especially concerned?
8: Well, the day nurse, Miss Rosenberg, said that you and Mr. Steele... You girls
1: gossip be... too much.
8: Yes, doctor. But I understand there's no family. What am I going to do with Mr. Steele's things?
1: What things?
8: Well, his overcoat... This parcel was in it, this book. He said it was his journal, and he told Miss Rosenberg you were to have it. He said it had important scientific data Well, uh, give it here. Yes, Doctor.
1: Journal of Richard Thomas (laughs) Steele. Important scientific data, I'll bet. I still can't figure out what was eating that guy. What he had to say to me that was so darned important. Why do people want to keep diaries... July 26th, not a fruitful day. The weather this morning was heavy, sticky. (laughs) Lord knows what crazy stuff he's written here. July 26th, not a fruitful day. The weather this morning was heavy, sticky. I stayed indoors with the blinds drawn, spent three and a half hours arranging and cataloguing a shipment of books... And I must say, I gloated over my new volume of bacon, gold leaf, uncut, 1836, a treasure. In the afternoon, I ventured out to play chess with Elliot. He's an uninspired player and a worse conversationalist. I'm appalled that a man of Elliot's pretensions still wallows in 18th and 19th century thought patterns, twaddle in sentimentality. He's totally unaware of the potentialities of modern science. It was so apparent to me when we got into that argument over... Ralph Waldo Emerson. I was thumbing through a volume he had of Emerson's essays, a cheap reprint at that, and I was annoyed by a paragraph in the essay called Compensation. I must have snorted because Elliot fairly leaped at me.
3: Certainly I think there's compensation
1: for everything. Tit for tat, measure for measure,
3: love for love. Do
1: you contend, Elliot, that no matter what a man does, it comes back to him? One way or
3: another, yes, yes, it does.
1: Then if I do good, I get good back?
3: Yes, I believe that, Richard.
1: And if I commit a crime, I'm of necessity punished? Well, it depends what you mean by punishment. I mean that I will suffer somehow for the evil I do. Isn't that what Emerson says? I want to know what you believe.
3: Well, I believe what he says.
1: Well, I'll read what he says. Discount the poetry, old man. He used lush language. Emerson says, Commit a crime and the earth is made of glass. Commit a crime and it seems as if a coat of snow fell on the ground such as reveals in the woods the tracks of every partridge and fox and squirrel and mole. You cannot recall the spoken word. You cannot wipe out the foot track. You cannot draw up, up the ladder so as to leave no inlet or clue. Some damning circumstance always transpires. The laws and substance of nature, water, snow, wind, gravitation, become penalties to the thief. Well, so, Elliot.
3: Beautiful, isn't it? Uh, you read very well.
1: Don't try to turn me off, Elliot. We're discussing his theory.
3: I, I don't see how there can be any argument. We, we know... We
1: know a good deal more than Emerson, you old fellow. Especially about the laws and substances of nature. We've tested the substances, learned control over the laws, the scientific method, Elliot. It cancels out every word your friend Emerson wrote. Let's say, in compensation. Oh,
3: the scientific method. I'd like to see it applied to some situations in nature. Uh, To human nature. All right. Uh, Say you commit a murder. Murder, very well. Say I do. Well, if you aren't caught by the police, and that can be managed by an intelligent man, you you still won't escape. Call it your conscience.
1: That's what Emerson means. But say I commit a laboratory murder.
3: What kind of a murder is that?
1: Let me put it this way. When the police catch a murderer, they, they have found a connection between the murderer and his victim. Motive and clues, right? Mm-hmm. And when a murderer is caught by his conscience, it is still because he is connected with his victim through his emotions.
3: Mm, I agree so far.
1: Well, how is a murderer caught if he is in no way connected with his victim? Well, that's not possible. I don't know. There could be a pure abstract murder, a murder occurring in almost a vacuum, a murder in which the only connection between the two participants... ...is the unadulterated act of killing. July 28th. The weather continues warm, humidity high. Today I roamed around my library, read a little, thought a great deal. It's odd that I should keep referring back to my conversation with Elliot. Abstract murder. A laboratory murder. Murder. I jotted down one or two theoretical points today. It will be an amusing project in such hot weather. July 29th. What utter nonsense to think as I have of a a laboratory experiment carried out in writing on paper. It's a contradiction in terms. The core of the scientific method is to prove theory in life, so let us prove the possibility of a pure murder. It must be someone met in an emotional and material vacuum, someone with whom I have no connection, someone whom I have no possible reason to kill. The preparations for such a murder are, of necessity, classically simple. This afternoon, I bought my equipment. Gloves, sir? Uh, What kind of Gloves? Oh, any kind of gloves. But what do you want them for? Driving? Gardening? I want gloves I can use for anything. Well, uh, we call these utility gloves. Yes, those will be excellent. Thank you. Uh, What size, sir? Any size, medium. Well, now, these look just about... No, no, no. I don't want to try them on. I'll take them as they are. Just wrap them up. Yes, sir. Just as you say. You know, I'm very fond of a genuine old-fashioned hardware store, Mr. Jeremy. Like yours?
6: Yes, and a lot of people tell me that, Mr. Steele. Yeah. Mm. Anything uh, special you're looking for? I
1: don't know. I suppose I'm just browsing.
6: Mm, yes, sir. Oh, what are
1: those? Uh, uh, ice picks?
6: Yes, sir. And pre-war metal, uh, too. You want one? No,
1: no. I, I have one. Uh, my, quite a selection. Screwdrivers. Oh, uh, uh, there's something I want. Oh, a knife? One of those.
6: Well, to be fair with you now, those are pretty poor knives. Doesn't matter. But well, just no darn good, as far as I can see. The
1: best possible recommendation, Mr. Jeremy. I'll take it. <laughs> A meaningless knife, all-purpose gloves, knife and gloves new, factory-made, uncondaminated by human association, smelling only of the harsh, impersonal machines which turn them out. My first safeguards against the intrusion of emotion... In a laboratory, this procedure would be called controls. To complete the controls, who would it be? I must never see his or her face. I must never know his or her name, age, occupation, thoughts or desires. I must come into contact with this victim as casually as though we were blown together by the wind. There can be no selection, no volition on my part except the elementary volition necessary to raise my arm to kill. July 30th, the exact record of what has occurred. I must write it down now while it is fresh in my mind. I will be absolutely precise and objective. Very well. Tonight, at some undetermined hour after dinner, I left my house on 74th Street with the new gloves and knife in my right-hand coat pocket. The only external circumstance I noted was that the air was hot, heavy, and still. But after all, everyone is affected equally by weather, so my consciousness of it was... No limitation on my experiment. I walked an undetermined number of blocks, taking care to observe no street signs or landmarks. I observed only one thing, that there were many people on the street. In fact, I became aware only vaguely that I was pushing through a rather dense crowd, but I deafened myself completely to any specific words or conversation. Brilliant recording. Brilliant. And although I imagine there was traffic passing in the street, I successfully blotted out all sound except for a dull roar. It seemed to me that the ominous heat had increased. The stillness of the air was almost palpable. perhaps brought me sooner to the final resolution of my plan. But when I found my progress through the crowd, blocked by what I can only describe as a human, I raised my knife and drove it into the back with all my force. I can't stand it! I can't! I continued walking without haste, pausing only a fraction of a second to hear.
7: He's fallen! Get back! Give him air! Give him air. What? what is it?
1: To hear those few words, he's fallen. Give him air. <laughs> he needed no air. I knew that. And thus, I heard, confirmed my unqualified belief that I had taken, without any possible consequence to myself, a human being's life.
3: For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as star Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Earth is Made of Glass by Sylvia Richards. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
1: Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. First call to my dinners, says Miss Elsa Maxwell, is Roma California Sherry. For this delicious wine is a perfect beginning to a good meal. In fact, this famous hostess goes on to say, Roma Sherry is an ideal wine because you can enjoy it any time of day or night. Gold and amber with a rich nut-like taste. Glorious Roma Sherry is at its most delightful best served cool. Roma Sherry, like all the famous Roma wines, is made from carefully selected grapes... From California's choicest vineyards, grapes gathered at the peak of their flavor goodness, when every grape is hanging firm and full on the vine, then quickly but gently pressed. Finally, by a process as slow and as old as time, brought to delicious liquid perfection by Roma's skilled vintners. Yes, all Roma wines are true wines, always unvaryingly good bottled at Roma's own famed wineries. Enjoy Roma Wines regularly for only pennies a glass. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. Always ask for Roma. R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. And now Roma Wines
3: bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton as Richard Thomas Steele in The Earth is Made of Glass, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense.
1: August 1st. I was unable to write in my journal yesterday because of the excessive heat. I suffered all day from a headache and a vibration in my ears. I'm writing today only to have on record the final control in my experiment, my laboratory murder. To assure complete ignorance of the identity of my victim, I shall read no newspapers for a period of two or three weeks and a whole conversation with anyone apt to be morbidly interested in murders reported in the tabloid press. Compensation. (laughs) Cut that, Mr. Emerson. August 4th, the heat is unbearable. All day I have felt that odd, heavy vibration in my head. Now also in my arms and body, it is almost constant in a one, two, three rhythm, and sometimes it is a sound as well as a vibration, like the distant sound of the sea. the doctor. Last night, I was kept awake by the throbbing in my head, and toward morning, I was subjected to a new agony, very softly at first, but louder and louder, like voices heard in delirium, my head became filled with an almost hysterical babbling. Brilliant.
8: Brilliant.
1: Appassionata. Brilliant.
8: Appassionata. Passionata.
1: Appassionata.
8: Brilliant. 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 Passionata. 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 Brilliant. Brilliant.
1: Brilliant. Passionata. Passionata.
8: Brilliant. Brilliant. It is a
1: A nightmare, Not for an instant have the voices stopped or even paused, and they seem to keep time with the reverberation of my heart. August 8th, I have no need to consult a doctor, now I know the nature of my illness. Last night I turned to music, trying to drive the unspeakable uproar from my brain. But when I put the records on the machine, the Frank violin sonata, and settled back to hear the first flowing melody of the violin, something happened. The music swelled and changed. And became became the appassionata. Beethoven's appassionata. Brilliant
7: Yes, brilliant. Then
1: I knew. I turned off the music. A devilish cycle began once more. The sound and voices rose to a bedlam, shrieking like the voices of fiends rose to a dreadful climax. In spite of every precaution, my murder had not taken place in a vacuum. My shield had been penetrated by those fragments of sound and speech echoing in my ears. Speech about a concert. Yes, I remember now. I read that Schnabel was to play an all-Beethoven concert in Carnegie Hall on July 30th. And the clanging of bells, that was a trolley going by on 7th Avenue. And I'd also heard and identified the roll and crash of Summer Thunder. That was the sound which preceded and punctuated a woman's scream.
7: I can't stand it, I can't! He's rolling. get back! What's the matter? What's the
1: Well... It may be possible to drive all this away in time. But the other thing which sets the rhythm for the rest, the pulsing sound I hear. When I drove that knife home into a human being's heart, the vital rhythm of the heart, the mighty leap and contraction of the heart's muscle on the blade of the knife was transmitted back to me through my hand and remains indelibly recorded in the beat of
6: my own blood.
1: August 11th, while I am still able to reason, I must discover where I erred and act swiftly to correct my error. There is no turning back. The death I caused is a fact. I cannot banish it by wishing, for each day I remember something more. Today, the color of his hair. Photographed between the black collar of his coat and his gray hat, I saw it. Clipped silky reddish, and I had an insatiable desire to turn the head to see his face. There is one course left to me. I will reverse my plan. I will learn. I will learn in every possible detail the person whom I killed. Learn to know him. Construct a total portrait. Then, I will attempt to discard this portrait in its entirety. I beg your pardon, miss. I, uh, where are the newspaper files?
8: I'll have to get them for you. What dates did you want to see?
1: The, the week of July 30th. Which paper? The Times. I'll start with that. Just a moment. I want them for the whole week.
8: Yes, well, here are all the copies for July, bound. And these loose ones are August so far. Thank you. They must not be taken out of the reading room. The reading room is to your right. Will you need them long?
1: It Maybe he it may take me some time. I don't know. I'm doing some rather intensive research.
8: Return them to the desk when you're through.
1: I opened the bound volume near the end and immediately saw his picture page one center. The photograph was blurred, but without reading a word, I recognized him because he matched his hair. I mean, his face went with the back of his head, the one who I had seen. The hair growing to a slight widow's peak, eyes widely spaced, gray or very light blue, mouth wide, young and strong. Then I read the words above the picture, young man slain in crowd. That was all I read because at a moment, someone spoke to me. Pardon me. When you're finished with that volume, may I look at it? Was impossible it couldn't be standing at my shoulder smiling young apparently as alive as i but it was he was there he my victim the face and the paper in his face were the same i swear they were the same i'm sorry to bother you the girl at the desk said you had the july volume of the times yes i i'm, I'm was sorry s- did i startle your, you your your picture i i'm looking at your picture My picture? Well, you mean in the paper? I don't see any picture. He's dead. I, I know he's dead. I felt his heart leap like a fish on the point of my knife, then quiver and die. I saw him fall. I must believe that he is truly dead. And the dead either walk nor speak. But today, on Fifth Avenue... Hello. What? What's wrong? Are you ill? No. No, 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 I'm all right. You look like you were about to faint. You're still green. Are you sure? I'm, that I'm all right. Because I live right near here if you want to lie down. No, 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 please. Well, it's up to you. I can't make you come. But I don't like to see anyone suffer needlessly. August 20th. He doesn't like to see anyone suffer. Yet because of him, there is not one day, one hour when I am free from despair and fear. Yes, I accept him now. The dead do walk and talk, at least one dead man does. Inevitably, if I venture out of my house, he finds me. Today, I started down the subway steps at 53rd Street after I'd looked to make sure he wasn't anywhere nearby. But I'd gone only three or four steps when I felt my arm jostle and I Pardon. Oh. Oh, you again. I'll bet you think I'm haunting you. Please, what do you want? Look, I don't want anything. Let's just call it fate or something. Why don't you let me alone? I've begun to think that maybe we were both to be spared this. So, so, so had I. If I were superstitious, I'd say we had some unfinished business. Please, will you tell me something? Will you answer one question? Do... Do you believe in compensation? You'll have to explain what you mean. If someone does evil, if I have done evil, must I get evil back? Well, uh, say it again. Do you believe in good for good, evil for evil? Look, look, what about killing? Well, there's all sorts of killing. But, but senseless killing. Killing with no reason. What is the compensation for that? You've asked a pretty complicated question of a pretty simple man. The only thing that comes to my mind right off is what it says in the Bible. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what you believe? Why, yes. I believe that. Is that any help to you? Yes. Oh, yes. Anything you say would help. Tooth for tooth, a tooth, like a man. The price asked by the only one who can ask it. What will you have, quoth God? Pay for it and take it. Well, I'll pay. For I've learned that no event between two human beings can happen in a vacuum. We're all enmeshed, bound together through our blood in a pulsing net. And if one of us does violence to another, He does violence to himself. Very well. This price I am glad to pay. There is no other way.
8: Mr. Steele,
1: where where am I?
8: You're in Washington Hill Hospital. How do you feel?
1: Hospital, but I, I mustn't. I, I have to die.
8: Not if we can keep you from but
1: it. I have to. Did, did I bleed much? Bleed from the knife.
8: You had a heart attack, Mr. Steele. Coronary. No,
1: I tell you here, I, I, I stabbed myself here. Where's the doctor?
8: Lie down, Mr. Steele. The doctor will be here in a minute. I
1: have to make him understand. I promised. To die.
8: You promised. Oh, Here's the doctor now.
1: Yes, but I... You. Of, of course. You. Well, Mr. Steve. I, I tried to tell her. I tried to, to tell her that I have to die. Call another doctor for this patient, nurse. But doctor... You tell her. The earth is made of glass. That if I don't die, you'll always find me. I know that. But tell her. Tell her the, the evil thing I have done so she'll let me die.
8: Dr. West, his pulse. Emerson
1: said it. I carry a malignity in me. But when I die, I make square the eternal account. Make square the
7: eternal account.
1: Well, Miss Adams, that's all there is. The Journal of Richard Thomas Steele.
8: Doctor, I don't remember reading of that murder. Do you?
1: No. No, I don't.
8: Who was the man he met? Who was it he thought he'd killed? It was me. You, Dr. West?
1: Just as he described it. First in the library and in the drugstore, near my home, on buses, in the park. I couldn't imagine what was bothering him.
8: But who did he kill? Really?
1: I don't know. But I have an idea. Where's the package you found in this coat?
8: Right here. Shall I open it?
1: Yes, go on. You see?
8: The gloves. And the knife.
1: And they've never been used.
8: Then he never killed anyone.
1: No. Richard Steele never drove a knife into a living back. But in his way, he killed... In his mind, he killed. I guess old Emerson would say even for that kind of crime, there's compensation. Commit a crime, and the earth is made of glass.
3: Have brought you Joseph Cotton as star of The Earth Is Made of Glass. Tonight's study in Suspense.
1: This is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines, the sponsor of Suspense. These days, says Miss Elsa Maxwell, world famous hostess, more and more people serve only one dish for dinner, with a salad and probably a sweet. That's why I'm sure so many more people serve Roma wines because Roma wines add so much to a simple meal. With a savory pot roast, for example, I recommend glasses of good Roma, California Burgundy, served cool. Now, that's a good suggestion from Elsa Maxwell, for Roma Burgundy is a handsome wine with a good, warm heart. Try it, and discover how happily its tart piquancy goes with meats. And if you enjoy cocktails before dinner... You'll make better cocktails with Roma's full-flavored vermouth, sweet or dry, made and bottled in the heart of California's famous vineyards, yet surprisingly low-priced. Try Roma vermouth soon, won't
3: you? We would like to thank Joseph Cotton for appearing in the place of Clifton Webb, whose illness prevented his being with us this evening. Joseph Cotton appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick, producer of Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound. Next Thursday, you will hear George Murphy in Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills.
1: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And that's Suspense, starring Joseph Cotton in The Earth is Made of Glass, from September 27, 1945. Also in the cast, Kathy Lewis, Gail Gordon, and William Johnstone, with Truman Bradley announcing for Roma Wines, as heard over CBS. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 78 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 78 of the Classic Radio Theater brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of the Abbott and Costello show, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.